Today on Calm Talk, we chat with Dr. John Guinefort about depression and how to know when it's time to get help. Okay, what is happening here? Where are we? Glix, give us a situation report. Currently, we are on the planet Geekery. Be warned, our impossibility drive may cause distortions okay. as we traverse this land. Impending impossibility engaging in three, oh two, oh one. Hello, Devoted Geeks, and welcome to episode 48 of ComTalk, the podcast extension of Geek Devotions, the YouTube show from a couple of devoted geeks that are devoted to letting people know that they are loved. I am Dallas, and with me is... Celeste! As you listen to this podcast, please interact with us. Send us your thoughts on what we are saying via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find us by simply looking up Geek Devotions. And do us a favor, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And perhaps you can be our devoted geek of the month. When we actually do it. When we actually do we've it. We've got to get on that. We we've been slacking. <laughs> we apologize. We apologize, guys. We're trying to get this thing together. So uh, that being said, uh, so let's what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about depression as kind of a final cumulation, cumulation final entry. Entry into our Suicide Awareness Week mm-hmm. focus. Right. We've been real focused on Suicide Awareness this last week. We've had several articles um, that have been posted up by mm-hmm. our good friend, sister, relative, best friend, person. Uh, <laughs> known for quite a while. Dallas has known her for a bit. I, I've known her for less time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Demara Mora, who is a PLPC. I lost my thought after that. Um, By the way, we got clarification. PLPC stands for Provisional Licensed um, Counselor. Yeah. Professional Counselor. Provisional Licensed Professional Counselor. Yes. There are some questions about that. Which basically means that she has, what, a few more months before she can drop the first P and be just an LPC? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like she's only been doing it for a few years, so she has that little P in front. Yep. It's a thing. We're not we're not medical people. We don't know these things. <laughs> I work in a hospital, but not not with that type of people. Right. Okay. So we're talking with Dr. Guy Fort, and he's a pretty cool guy. Really enjoyed sitting down and talking with him. Yeah. Now that being said, before we get into this, after recording was done, he did look at me and goes, You know, I'm kind of offended that you didn't ask me if I was a geek. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. It's like, well, are you? He's like, I am. He goes, I like to think of myself as a techie baby boomer. Which, of course, if you're if you're familiar with the baby boomer generation, they're some of them are quite shy about their technology. They're like, yes. I don't know. But he loves his gadgets, which I love personally. Um, I think we can be friends because I love gadgets too. So he is so the devoted geek. So what you're about to listen to is a geek. <laughs> I think you should cosplay as Inspector Gadget. <laughs> we need to get Demara to make this happen. Right. All right. Cool beans. Well, guys, we're gonna do a quick turnaround here, and when we come back from the turnaround, we will have my interview with Dr. John Guyenfort. It is a lengthy one, uh, but we are currently getting it transcribed and hopefully get some highlights from it written out for the website version. Mm-hmm. And so, if you go to geekdevotions.com, click on our content. And you go down to Com Talk. Uh, go down to episode forty-eight. That's what episode we're on. It will have this episode, and 
you will have the YouTube version video player at the top of the page, and below it will be notes. And I'm going to try to time code it also. Yeah. The way you can listen and jump ahead if you need to jump ahead of certain things. That being said, let's do this. Welcome to Victims and Villains. This is the channel where we talk nerd, we talk hope, and we speak nothing else. I'm your host, Captain Nostalgia, and I'm so glad that you're here to join us. Victims and Villains is a podcast and YouTube channel that marries pop culture and suicide prevention, producing content with the intent to let people know that there is hope and that there is a better way and that each and every listener has value and worth. Listen to Victims and Villains on your favorite podcast catcher or on YouTube by searching for Victims and Villains. Also, check out their website, victimsandvillains.net. All right, guys, we are here with uh, Dr. John Guyenfort. Uh, he is a uh, really interesting guy because he employs my sister, so that's pretty cool. I appreciate that. <laughs> but you also do a lot of great things in, uh, in Streetport and in uh, not just Streetport, but the city. I've heard a lot of really great things about you. I've read about you, about some of the stuff that you've, programs you've started, mm-hmm. even. Um, if you could just tell our, our devoted geek community a little bit about yourself and, and who you are and what you do. Okay. Uh, thanks, Dallas, and thanks for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, I am a licensed professional counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. I am in private practice here in Shreveport, and I'm also the administrator of a nonprofit community based mental health center called Mental Health Solutions. Uh, it's a state-licensed uh, outpatient facility. We've been in existence now for about 37 years. Great, great, great. So just so that our normal listeners, because normally it's kind of a lighter conversation, what do you do for fun when you're not doing all this and helping people? I play drums. Really? Yeah. I think I read up on that. Is there a specific style? I know you're like, you've, I've read your bio, you like jazz and stuff. Like, is there a style of drums you like to play? Or are you... I'm pretty eclectic. Uh, it just depends on the musicians I'm with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like playing jazz when I'm with jazz musicians, rock and roll when I'm with rock and roll musicians, and probably my favorite is the blues. Yeah. yeah. I like blues music. <laughs> That's yeah. one of my favorite styles of music out there. All right. Well, good deal. So, well, speaking of blues, we're, our topic of today kind of deals with people who have the blues on the next level. Right. Uh, we're talking about depression and anxiety and everything. And... Um, and, and we're doing this. This is kind of us wrapping up um, Suicide Prevention Week mm-hmm. and our Awareness Week. And um, we've done several things this week already on Geek Devotions. Uh, our episode last week dealt heavily with, with the subject of depression and anxiety. Um, Demara has produced a couple of articles for us about how to handle life's issues and even uh, practical steps on coping skills for dealing with depression. And all these things are great. And even in my episode of Geek Devotions, I, I made sure to preface, I'm not a medical professional. I don't claim to be. Um, I'm a minister, yes, and I've, I've been through some stuff in my life, and so all I could offer was some practical advice from what I've been through. But I can't give anybody advice on the medical side of things. Gotcha. And so that's really, I wanted to get somebody with a voice that can do that, that has the authority to speak into that situation. Um, one of the people in our, in our community, um, uh, Devoted Geek Life on Facebook, he had asked, though, um, and I think the mayor had sent you this question later. 
Hopefully she did. <laughs> but there is a spiritual side of things and, and not a spiritual side of things to counseling and to getting health and everything. And there are some that have taken it and ran the way, the opposite direction. And they're like, you never see a doctor, or never take Advil or else you're going to hell. And I'm not one of those people, uh, which I may get flack for in some communities, but I don't care because I want to help people in a real way. But is there a line of, hey, there is a, 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 a what's the word I'm looking for? An appropriate side to spiritual healing and what does that look like you know is there room for god in the healing process oh, of depression you know we are <clears throat> we are uh, physical beings we're psychological and emotional beings mm-hmm. we are spiritual beings um and all of that is part of the makeup of what 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 it is to be a human being mm-hmm. so when we talk about treatment uh for uh, depression or anxiety or psychosis. There was a time in the history of the 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 evolution of treatment as we know it today, where we thought, well, uh, what we need to do is use techniques of psychology and research, and it has to be empirical. And those things were important, but we often find that we can't get away with that alone. Mm-hmm. Then when we look on the spiritual side and to say, well, everything can be solved by prayer, I happen to believe that everything can be solved by prayer. Mm -hmm. But the question is, when we look at that, and we look at that from a spiritual point of view, and in whatever way someone may perceive who, what God is, on the spiritual side, the, the spiritual messages are such that uh, we are spiritual beings, but we live in a physical plane. And I, th- mm-hmm. I think St. Paul talks about that in, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And while we're in this physical world, uh, I think the answer to prayer often is um, direction on how to th- use the things that God has put here before us uh, to live uh, a healthier and more productive life. So I don't think it's either or. Okay. And I think sometimes that's not to say that somebody can't live either or. Mm -hmm. But I think life is richer when we live both. And the analogy I like to use is we walk into the cafeteria, and if all that's on the menu is meat, we can be happy with that. If all all that's on the menu is potatoes, we can be happy with that. We're probably going to be a whole lot happier, though, if what we have available to us is meat and potatoes. Absolutely. So that's sort of the sort of my answer to what is the best way to go about uh, not only addressing depression, anxiety, those that sorts of things, but life in general is our life is richer when it is a good blend of uh, uh, physical approaches or research-based approaches to treatment in addition to incorporating spirituality because at the end of the day the solution that's going to work best is the solution that the client comes up with not the solution that the psychologist psychiatrist or mental health professional tells them is the best solution for them all right cool and i'm agree with there is a a duality of everything um one of the things i teach people is uh there's the scripture in the that says where Jesus is saying, What does it give what is it for a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? And if you look at the word soul back into the Greek of it, uh it's actually a root word for psychology and and um and all kinds of other things actually. But um for Jesus as a Jew, for him the soul wasn't just the spirit man, it's what people love, but it was it was the mind, the body, and the spirit. And so mm-hmm. he was asking them, you know, what good is it for you to gain all this stuff? 
and sacrifice your mind, your body, and your spirit all in one. And so um, that's definitely, I'm glad that you, you're affirming that there is a, there's a lot to this besides just one side or the other. Um, before we progress anymore, I'm a big fan of make sure we understand what defining terms. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Some people, they're like, well, I'm depressed. I was like, no, you're, you're just having a bad day. You know, <laughs> you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, you stubbed your toe, coffee was two weeks, something. But actual depression, what is that? Well, I think it's good. So let's just look at, <clears throat> at what some of the symptoms of depression could be mm-hmm. or some of the things that may be going on that signals that we're depressed. Uh, and then let's look at what depression is and what depression isn't. Okay. So just kind of a comprehensive list that I kind of jotted down in preparation for today is we might know that we're depressed because we're feeling sad or having depressed mood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when when you walk up to most people and they're looking down in blue and you say, hey, what's going on? Are you sad or blue? If they're feeling sad or blue, they'll tell you, yeah, I feel depressed. So they know it. They know mm-hmm. what it feels like. Depression involves a loss of interest in pleasurable things or activities. Uh, In my world, we have a fancy term for that. It's called anhedonia. But one of the ways to notice depression, and parents ask this question all the time, how do I tell if my child is depressed? And one of the symptoms that we want to look for is that there's a significant period of time that usually lasts for at least two weeks where they just have no interest in the things that used to bring them pleasure and satisfaction before. Hmm. Another symptom can be uh, changes in appetite uh, that could be indicated by uh, significant weight loss or maybe even significant weight gain. Hmm. Because both of those things can happen when we're truly depressed. We lose interest in eating. Uh, That's part of that loss of the interest in pleasure things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or we may try to self-soothe the depression Mm -hmm. by eating and eating too much, eating when we're really not hungry. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of a self-medication thing. It's kind of a self-medication thing using food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Another symptom could be a change in sleeping pattern. And that's kind of like eating. It could be uh, sleeping too much or not sleeping enough. Mm-hmm. And so we, when we look over on the treatment side, uh, one of the things that we always want to take a look at is what is that sleeping pattern? Because a basic rule of thumb for mental health uh, is that when sleeping don't work, nothing works. Mm-hmm. So we really want to take a look at that and make sure sleep hygiene is being taken care of. Uh, along with exercise and diet and those sorts of things. Um, uh, Loss of energy or increased feeling of fatigue. And, you know, you talk to people who have a real diagnosis of depression, and what they'll tell you is that, and they use different ways to describe that, I feel like I'm moving through molasses. Mm. I feel like I weigh a thousand times, a thousand pounds. And people who know them will say, yeah, you know, he or she is being kind of sluggish. They're more sluggish than usual. And sometimes they might even suspect that they're using drugs, and maybe they are to self-soothe the depression. Mm -hmm. But many times they're not, and that's because one of the symptoms of depression is just this slow, sluggish movement, and speech will be slurred. So Mm. that can be a symptom. Increase in purposeless physical activity like wringing of the hands and uh, tapping of the toes and bouncing of the knees. Mm. All of those things that can be a manifestation of anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, 
um, feeling worthless or guilty. Now, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things that we often use to distinguish between what is depression and what is maybe just experiencing normal grief as a result of the loss of something, a relationship or whatever. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Sure. Uh, difficulty concentrating. People who are truly depressed will have an extended period of time here again two weeks or more, where they just can't focus on anything, whereas concentrating and focusing was never a problem before. So Mm -hmm. it's a distinct change. Uh, And then, of course, the thing that that always gets our attention is having thoughts and maybe even making plans about death or committing suicide. Hmm. Okay. So now we want to take a look at what's the difference between like depression and just normal sadness. Right. Okay. Because feeling blue and feeling sad can be a normal reaction to some kind of loss in life. It could be the breakup of a relationship, could be the loss of a job, right. could be the death of a parent. Uh, so now we have this thing about grief versus depression. And how do we know the difference between the two? Mm-hmm. Well, depression can be caused by grief. It can be caused by the loss of something. Uh, so in that case, the grief, the normal grief that we're experiencing is, is exaggerated or exacerbated by the depression. But the difference between the two is this. In uh, depression, in, in grief, the feeling of sadness and blue comes in waves. It's not there all the time. Mm. We lose something. We have the grief, we'll cry, we may even cry intensively, but we kind of bounce out of it. We get up in the morning, we go to work, and maybe we're not, you know, as spot on as we usually are, but we're basically functional. We're taking care of business, we're taking care of basic needs, we're taking care of the things we need to do to uh, to get through the day. Um, the other distinction uh, is that that it's the sense of self-esteem that a person has. In depression, one of the symptoms of depression is that self-esteem is really low, mm. and it stays that way for a long time. Again, one of, the, one of the benchmarks that we look at in terms of is this depression or is it grief or something else is does it consistently last for a period of two weeks or more? Mm. If yes, we may be talking about depression. If not, it's probably something more situational, like grief, the loss of something. But the difference between grief and depression with respect to self-esteem is when we're grieving something, we maintain our sense of high or adequate self-esteem. In depression, it's rock bottom. We feel low. We feel like we're worthless. We feel guilty about things that are not our fault. We Mm -hmm. just feel guilty about everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a general state of malaise uh, that's different from grief in that it lasts for a long period of time uh, and um, there is this feeling by the person who is truly depressed that they're worthless, that they're incompetent, that they can't do anything right uh, and their self-esteem is really low. You don't see those manifestations of low self-esteem in grieving, although Depression can seep into grieving, and grieving can become depression. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, um, one thing about depression and some of the stuff is some people think, well, it's a very, very like it's just that one person, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of 
uh, a lot of love for some people. Like, well, look, just get over it, move on, get move forward. And uh, I know that you have done a lot of stuff specifically for uh, mental health solutions and stuff like that. But even for juveniles who are, their mental issues have unfortunately um, crossroads with legal issues. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious as to how many of these cases. Um, that you've done where you've helped the young men and young women who are in some major legal issues, trouble, that you could track back their problems to depression and anxiety? That, <clears throat> that's a great question. There is a relationship between depression and um, what we might call delinquency or engaging in behavior mm-hmm. that results in um, contact with the law enforcement community. And that has a lot to do with our mental health, with what our mental health system does, or maybe better yet, with what our mental health system doesn't do in terms of recognizing the needs of children. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, and, and so uh, let me just say this while there may be a relationship between mental illness and uh, delinquency, for example, mm-hmm. mental illness does not necessarily cause delinquency. Absolutely. The only way we can say that is if everybody who suffers a mental illness engages in delinquent behavior, we observe that's not true. Sure. Delinquency also is not necessarily a manifestation of mental illness mm-hmm. because not all people who are engaging in antisocial behavior are necessarily mentally ill. Right. So there's some overlap of those two things, mm-hmm. but they're not concentric. There, there are some parts of each that, that are exclusive. Interesting thing happened. Uh, uh, it's been about a decade ago now. We, through this agency, had a grant from uh, the Louisiana Office of Juvenile Justice to conduct uh, mental health screenings on uh, over a six-month period on all of the kids who were admitted to the Caddo Parish Juvenile Detention Center. Mm-hmm. And we found some very interesting things about that, uh, that over 80% of those kids admitted to that center uh, had what would clearly be considered undiagnosed mental health issues. No, really? wow. Depression, anxiety, some pretty serious stuff maybe related to childhood mm. bipolar disorders, uh, but a lot of it, uh, ADHD, mm-hmm. uh, manifestations of ADHD or impulsivity and and. Uh, hyperactive behavior, poor frustration tolerance that can lead to some problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was really startling to us. We expected to see a relationship between the behaviors that resulted in their entering into the detention center, but we were really startled that the percentage was that high. Mm That, that the behaviors that they were engaging in that, that got them arrested and into the detention center uh, clearly could be considered a manifestation of an undiagnosed mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that we saw, federal law says that if a child has a condition mm-hmm. that <clears throat> significantly interferes with their ability to perform in the academic setting, And that condition is recognized under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Then the school system, under a federal law called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, says that the school system has a responsibility to identify that child and conduct an assessment to determine 
A, if the child has a disability, and then B, if that disability is somehow interfering with their ability to thrive in the school setting. Mm -hmm. Well, under the Americans with Disability Act, mental illness is considered a disability. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. What we saw is that we had youth 15 and 16 years of age who were coming into the detention center who not only had never been evaluated for a mental illness to see if a mental illness could be contributing to the behavior that resulted in their being arrested. They were also having significant problems. A significantly high number of those same kids Mm -hmm. were also failing in the school setting. Mm -hmm. And what was evident evident from that is they were suffering from a mental illness during this time but not only had they not been evaluated for a mental illness, they were never evaluated to determine whether the behavior they were displaying in the school setting was a function of a mental illness. So they never received the support services that they need. Now, the relationship between those two things is really interesting because what we know is that kids who are suspended a lot, or who get expelled from school because of their behavior have an extremely high probability of ending up in the juvenile justice system, if not the adult criminal justice system. Mm. Because they're out on the streets, uh, by and large, they may be unsupervised, and they're out there where they're at high risk of connecting with a negative peer group where they may get involved in drugs and may get involved in other delinquent activities which include, which could include dealing drugs, mm-hmm. uh, engaging in uh, 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 robberies, uh, armed robberies, or or sexual crimes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right, right, right. So, um, obviously, mental illness, um, depression, all stuff. I mean, that has a lasting effect on people's lives in one way or another. And, um, and not just, and I don't want people listening to think that I'm like, oh, yeah, if you've got mental illness, you're going to be a criminal. That, that's not what we're saying, obviously. That's not what we're saying. But um, there are several impacts people just don't even think about that could possibly happen if something goes undiagnosed. Um, you know, obviously you have that even to the extreme of um, suicide, which is one of the things we've been talking about all week long here on Geek Devotions. And um, my, I have, a, have some very good friends of mine. They run a ministry called Victims and Villains. It's a uh, suicide awareness ministry and uh, podcast and he has these stats that he gives i've looked them up so make sure they're verified <laughs> so you may have some different ones that are newer than his but um essentially 123 suicides happen a day and um scaled back internationally it's like 800,000 suicides happen every year and that's like one death every 40 seconds from suicide so depression and anxiety it has this realm of like you got some people who do just fine and they just kind of deal with it to, man, they just, they give up and they end up in a, in a bad spot uh, and they end up in an unfortunate legal system or they commit suicide. So let's say you're a young person or maybe an adult and you you recognize you're having these issues and you're, you've been fighting it. You're trying to get through the, the, the slug, the molasses. But what is like, you go, the definitive, like if they're listening right now, they, you go, if this is what you have right now, this is what you're dealing with, it's time to get professional help. What are those signs that they need? Certainly, if they're having thoughts about hurting themselves, hurting other people, mm-hmm. they need to get some help. So <clears throat> what we look at, so the answer to the question to some extent has to do 
<laughs> it is storming right now while recording right this now. podcast. <laughs> so not to add drama to the podcast. <laughs> God is speaking to us. <laughs> so one of the things that we look at is um, the severity of the depression. Mm-hmm. Because somebody may be depressed. They may only be depressed for a short period of time. They bounce out of it. Mm -hmm. So certainly personal resiliency is an issue here. But one of the things that we want to look at, and I think not only that the youth might want to be aware of, but the parents of the youth might want to be aware of, Mm -hmm. is is there a significant change in the way they're functioning? Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, doing well in school, seem to be interested in school, got up every morning enthused about going to school, and then now all of a sudden we seem to have hit a wall. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to wake up. They don't want to get up, don't want to get dressed, don't want to go to school. They're isolating from their friends. Um, As we mentioned in some of the symptoms before, overeating, undereating, Mm -hmm. um, not as interested in engaging in fun activities that they used to be isolating not only from their friends but from their families, retreating to their room, spending a lot of time in their room, not wanting to come out for dinner, not wanting to spend time with family, not wanting to engage in family activities. All of those things could be a warning sign that this is a youngster who needs some special attention and Mm -hmm. special uh, support. So what form can that take? Well, sometimes... What works is just a parent who is tuned in to their youngster and they pull them aside and they say, hey, what's going on? And really encourage their child to talk and spend a lot of time just listening. Mm -hmm. Ask them to open up what's going on. Uh, Ask them to talk about their friends. How are things going with your friends? big thing that's going on out there today is bullying. Mm -hmm. It's a big problem. And it's not to say that bullying hasn't existed before, but used to, when I was in school, if I was going to get bullied by somebody at school, I had to be at school so they can bully me. Mm -hmm. But now with social media, bullying can happen all the time. Right. Uh, and, and, and that can be very traumatic. It can be very distressing and lead to depression uh, as young people come to think, well, my friends don't like me. My friends think I'm weird. Uh, I don't seem to fit in, so I'm not good enough. So parents who watch for that uh, constantly engage in some quality time just to hang out with their kids. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to necessarily be talking about problems. But we all live very busy lives. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's really important is to carve out some time to just really spend with our kids. Now, there's a a study that was done several years ago by the National Institute of Health. uh, And they sort of rank ordered a bunch of things that Mm -hmm. they considered important to be, uh, to exist in healthy families. And the thing that was at the top of the list is at least one meal a day where the whole family sits down at the table and they have a meal together. Right. Because a lot of dialogue happens during that time, and a lot of information is being shared. Mm -hmm. And sometimes part of that information is the precursor to a problem Mm -hmm. that gets discussed and resolved before it becomes a big problem. Right. There's also the exchange of a lot of cultural ideas, uh, a lot of information on 
what it means to be uh, responsible and caring, a responsible, caring, and empathetic individual. Mm-hmm. So if I learn that, if I learn from my parents what it means to be caring, if it, what it means to be empathetic, then not only do I have a tool to be a caring and empathetic person, I've also got the tool to know when somebody is not being caring and empathetic to me, and then I have the comparison to say, not my problem, their problem. Hmm. And their response to me doesn't mean I'm not a valuable, worthy, important person. Right. It just means the other person has a problem. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, um, and you, you, you touched on this a bit with the, with the parents and dealing with their, with their children about, you know, recognizing warning signs and, and sometimes those things get lost in the things. I have a, a friend of ours and people listening to the show, they'll recognize the name Jody Dice, who runs a ministry called Say Something School Assemblies. And his job is he goes around schools and he does assemblies, just urging kids just to say something because they, they hide stuff. And his story was that um, he actually walked in on his daughter attempting to commit suicide. And um, what he didn't know is that she had been hiding text messages, social media posts, people bullying her for I don't know how long, but it had just gotten to the point. And so there is this aspect of the young people, just, they just need to talk, you know, say something. Now, I like what you said, though, sit down at the table and talk, let it get out. But let's say that we're, we're dealing with an adult and, you know, you have an uncle or you have a loved one who, um, you know, as a parent, you got to look, I'm your parent, you're going to do what I'm <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to take you to counseling. But with adults, we can't do that necessarily. Um, how do we help an adult? How do we, <laughs> how do we help someone who is struggling with these things? Uh, who is an adult? Well, there is a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, as a parent, I can say, you know, I'm really concerned about you. We're going to go to counseling. I know you might not like it. I know this is something you don't want to do, but would you agree to do six sessions mm-hmm. and just see how you like it? We'll go from there. Sure. Can't do that with an adult. In fact, we have laws against making people do that kind mm-hmm. of stuff up to a point. But let's supposing I'm married to somebody and I notice that they're really different. They have those symptoms of depression. They're not going to work. They're losing days at work. They're taking more time off, not doing fun things. Um, um, The relationship is suffering uh, because of it in many different respects. So the spouse comes to think that their husband is depressed. Mm -hmm. And they talk to him. So one thing to talk about is maybe uh, going in to see somebody to get some treatment. Mm -hmm. And I might offer to go with them. Right. Okay. If they absolutely refuse, uh, then in a marital relationship, it might become an issue of, well, you know, we really need to do something about this, not only for you, but we need to do something about this for our relationship. So one of the things I always like to recommend is rather than saying, well, you go to counseling and get fixed, which means I have to go to counseling until I get fixed. Mm-hmm. If the loved one is resistant, just say, would you agree to go for six sessions? Mm-hmm. I'll be glad to go with you. I'll be glad to let you go alone. Right. But would you just agree to go for six sessions? Sure. And see if you can negotiate a specific amount of time or a specific number of sessions they'll go. Many times that works right. because the person who's ambivalent and doesn't want to talk about what's going on will say, well, I think I can hack it through six sessions. But what I don't want to commit to is that I have to go until I quote unquote get well. Right. Okay. Part of the dilemma there is they have no idea what getting well means. They have no idea about what it takes. In more severe cases where 
perhaps the depression has evolved to the point of psychosis. So they're seeing things that are not really there. They're hearing things that are not really there. Mm-hmm. They're feeling things that are not really there. Uh, then the it, if it becomes a safety issue, mm-hmm. and they're having thoughts, they're having suicidal thoughts, maybe they're actually engaging in suicidal behavior like self-cutting mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, then the loved one may have to take a really extraordinary step of maybe consulting with a psychiatrist or taking a trip down to the coroner's office and saying, hey, I'm here because my loved one is mentally ill. Uh, They're in a very dangerous state. I'm worried about their safety and the safety of others. And they can actually obtain a commitment order Mm. where if the loved one refuses to go, then law enforcement can assist and make sure that they get to the hospital uh, or the treatment institution where they can be interdicted and get the help that they need. Right. Good deal. Good deal. So I know uh, one common thought process amongst people who are struggling with with depression and, and they're thinking about suicide is that it only affects them. Uh, it's it, not saying that they're selfish, but they really think that this is the only way out. Nobody really cares. It's only going to affect me in the long run. Um, but what is the ripple effect on the back end of that? Somebody has tragically taken their life and um, that they, they've left behind family members, relatives. What is the ripple effect that you've seen in people's families and loved ones? It's traumatic. It's catastrophic. And for those that are left behind, there are a lot of unanswered questions. Mm -hmm. Like, and and you'll see this a lot with a parent who has a child who has committed suicide. I was their parent. So a lot of irrational thoughts start creeping into their their psyche that in turn make them depressed. Mm -hmm. And they'll think, this is my fault. My child committed suicide. That means I'm a failure as a parent. If I had been a better parent, this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that's the guilt component of it. The anger component of it may be, how dare you? You told me that you cared about me. And this may be an issue, for example, with a spouse who commits suicide. Mm. We got married. We promised till death do us part. You told me that you would love, honor, and cherish. You told me that you cared about me. You told me that you loved me. Well, if you really loved me and you really cherished me, you really cared about me, then why did you make a deliberate decision to leave me forever? Mm -hmm. So the anger towards the other person comes into the equation. And then also the guilt and the depression comes into the equation when they start thinking, well, the reason that they did this is because they didn't care about me. I wasn't important enough. I wasn't worthy. Mm-hmm. So the the effect can be devastating, mm-hmm. especially with respect to children who lose uh, uh, a, a parent to divorce, mm-hmm. uh, because there's a reason that we raise our children until they're 18 or 19 or 20 years old in a family, and that's because they're dependent on us. So uh, the effect of suicide in many respects on a child is actually worse than the trauma that the child experiences if one parent leaves as a result of separation or divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in separation and divorce, there can always be the hope, well, they'll get this together and dad or mom will come back. In suicide, it's permanent. They're never coming back. So the feeling of abandonment is just catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, 
when we look at back to your question, when we look at what might we want to consider mm-hmm. for for taking someone in to get treatment, maybe to talk to somebody, either in a support group or in formal psychotherapy, uh, would be the loss of a family member to divorce, loss of a family member to separation, uh, or loss of a family member to uh, to suicide. Because the common element in all of those is the sense of abandonment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, what would you say to somebody that they've lost someone through this stuff? Um, I remember there's a, a gentleman I know, and um, when he was very young, he had a loved one take him into another room with his sibling and attempt to hang themselves in front of him. I mean, they were they were very young, and that stuck with him to the point that later in life himself. Um, and he says this in, in uh, some interviews he's done before. He said that that almost gave him the permission to try to commit suicide himself. And so he actually attempted later. Um, what do you say to people who they've suffered that, they've, they've watched somebody commit suicide or they had somebody who, who attempted it? What do you say to them moving past that moment? Yeah. So two things happen when we experience a catastrophic event like that. <clears throat> and this is always an oversimplification, but sure. people drop into two categories. They either process through it, they become okay, they move on with life. Sure. Or they don't process through it. What's the difference between the two? Well, what we had this amazing research that we've been able to take advantage of over the last couple of years mm-hmm. where we can actually look at how the brain works uh, when people go through, when people are experiencing certain kind of tasks. We can look at it and we can say, oh, well, these parts of the brain light up when I'm trying to serve, solve a long division problem. And by the same token, we can look at what's going on in the brain when people try to resolve some kind of psychological and emotional trauma without getting too technical with that. Mm-hmm. What we have learned from that is what separates two people who experience the same event, one of them bounces back and they move on. The other stays stuck and they experience this thing called complex trauma or post-traumatic stress disorder. What we know from the neurobiology of all of that is there is a process in the brain where information is being stored to kind of oversimplify the part of the brain that stores emotional memories and the part of the brain that stores data. Now, this is a gross oversimplification. Mm -hmm. But what we see from that research is that those two parts of the brain talk to each other all the time. But when we go through something that's catastrophic, the person who tends to bounce back and move on, we can see that exchange of information. So emotional memories being connected with data, data being infused into the emotional memory, the net result of all of that is they resolve it. They come to some feeling of finality and conclusion about it, and they're ready to move on. The people who are not able to do that get stuck because those two parts of the brain literally stop talking to each other. Hmm. So there's no exchange in that information, and the net result is something called post-traumatic stress disorder. So now we have, as a result of that, these wonderful treatment interventions that we can actually use to start that process up again so they can process through it and move on to some conclusion that allows them to feel a sense of finality about it. And when that occurs, the distress that they felt during that period of being stuck 
goes away. They relax. They're able to think again. Concentration improves. Uh, just quality of life is much better, and they're able to move on with the rest of their life. When we see that happening, when we see people experiencing that stress response and never getting over it, mm -hmm. uh, can be an indication that perhaps they could use some professional help uh, to process through it in their own unique way and move on with their life. Awesome. Awesome. So um, if someone is struggling with depression, anxiety, and thought suicide, uh, where can they go to get help? Like where, like if you were to recommend just one or two places, like, hey, this is where you need to go, this is how you do it, where, where do you send them? Well, if inpatient care is needed, we typically refer to one of the hospitals, LSU, willis Knighton, Brentwood, mm -hmm. those places. Uh, if outpatient help is needed, of course, we're here. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're always ready to, to help individuals who come in, not only to deal with something that's really distressing, but, you know, part of mental health treatment doesn't necessarily require a problem. Uh, some people come in, I have clients who come to see me, and they come in periodically just because they want to work on quality of life issues. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily have a problem, but they want to know how to do better on their job. They want to know how to do better in sports or whatever part of their life is, is important to them. Right. There are several uh, agencies in town. Uh, and if you go on the internet and you you just type into your browsers, uh, mental health treatment agency, Shreveport and Bossier, you're going to get a list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then you get the little star rating things on what people think about them. <laughs> uh, another way to approach that is to ask a neighbor or a friend or your good friend, hey, uh, have you ever had any mental health treatment before? Who did you go to? Who did you like? Who would you recommend? Mm -hmm. uh, so ask friends and associates who they would recommend. Mm -hmm. uh, and pastors are good people. To ask about that because they're always, as we began this discussion talking about spirituality and mental health treatment, um, pastors are working with their congregation on the spiritual side, but they're also referring out to people to help on the psychological and emotional side and kind of bringing those two things together. Absolutely. So pastors are good people to ask for. Uh, and then another thing to do if if the treatment is going to be paid for through insurance, is to call your insurance company and just ask who's in network here and who would you recommend that I go to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So how can people get in touch with you on Mental Health Solutions here? And, well, and we're on the web at uh, mhs-report.com. Uh, they can also call our office here at 318-631-1122, and uh, we'll certainly be glad to help in any way that we can. Great, great. Thanks so much for doing this with us, John. I really do appreciate it. And for those of you guys listening, uh, I'm going to be back after a quick little break with Celeste, and we're going to wrap up a few things. But uh, I really want to encourage you, if you guys are needing help, if you're dealing with stress, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, get help. Say something. Contact John here at uh, Mental Health Solutions, and just, just, don't, just don't be silent about it. Get the help you need today. My pleasure, Dallas. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. Pops <laughs> returning to normal stasis in three, two, one. All right, and we are back. Thank you guys so much for taking time to really listen to this uh, interview. We hope that it really uh, encouraged you but challenged you. Uh, I hope that it, it, it's equipped you to be able to, mm -hmm. A, find the help that you need, mm -hmm. but also maybe help your loved ones, those in your life who are struggling with depression and, and maybe are dealing with thoughts of suicide. Um, 
Celeste, um, in the interview, Dr. Guy Ford gave us some great resources for people to check out. But um, we have some dear friends that we like to send people to also. Uh, can you tell them who, who that is? Well, we are talking about our friends over at Victims and Villains. They are a suicide prevention and awareness podcast. You can get to their resources at www.victimsandvillains.net. And just so that you know these, these lines, these phone numbers and texting numbers that you can call if you need help right now, the Suicide Lifeline is one 800 273-8255. And the crisis text line is 741-741. There we go. All right. I think that's really all that we, I mean, I don't feel like there's anything I can personally add to this conversation. Dr. Grindford brought everything out, said everything very clearly. Uh, I do want to say this though. This is interesting. We had some questions that were asked on the community page. Yes. Uh, in preparation for the podcast, I dropped on there and said, hey, doing an interview do you guys have any questions and of course facebook algorithms are fantastic and don't let anybody see things until after it's too late we had some really interesting questions pop up on there and uh it's under devoted geek life that's the name of our facebook community page but um what's cool is demara has been able to be there to answer people's questions as they come in especially the ones today because Mm -hmm. she knows that the interview is already over. These are not things we can ask Mr. Guinefort. And so she's been coming in and bringing in the wisdom of a professional. Mm -hmm. Whereas you and I would be like, well, we, we, we don't know. Right. Like we, cause this is not our forte. This is not our area of expertise. Yeah. We are not medical professionals. We never claim to be medical professionals. I work in a hospital, but that's about it. Right. So we're not, I don't want to be misconstrued that we are giving medical advice ever. No. We've lived lives. We've given, we can give you um, thoughts on what we've been through and how we've overcome some stuff. But for you as an individual, if you need professional help, get it. Yes. Go to a professional and get the help that you need today. All right. I think that's it. Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Calm Talk today. If you have loved this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Until, not next Sunday, but the next, stay devoted. Peace and love.